0: We're going to start an amazing, amazing series, and I'm kicking off the series called My Price Tag. Now, this is uh, a time where we reflect on the work that Jesus has done for us. Um, and sometimes every year, of almost, uh, you know, you, it's, it's Easter time, and you wonder why we have to talk about the cross. We have to talk about various things pertaining to the coming of Jesus. Now, I think this series is particularly different in that it is going to help us dive deeper into the Word and understand the the complexities of the salvation process or the salvation that we have received by faith. Uh, For those of us who are already saved, it's going to help us to reinforce our faith in God and in the things that Jesus Christ has already done for us. And for those who are not saved, this is going to help you understand why perhaps... You need to give your life to Jesus because, man, why would you resist such an amazing gift that has been granted to you, which you are going to discover in this series as we proceed. And so uh, we're going to have four weeks, including Good Friday. Today, we'll start with the calls of the gospel. And then next week, Pastor Carrie is going to be preaching on the carriage of the gospel. Then we're going to have the Good Friday service on the cost of the gospel, And then the Sunday Easter is going to be the celebration of the gospel. Now, each of these uh, topics will help us dig deeper and understand uh, why, you know, the gospel. Why? Now, I want to start with the definition of the gospel. And sometimes in Christian circles, when you speak about the gospel, you assume everybody understands and knows what the gospel is. Now, there's an evangelist in our movement called Rice Brooks who came up with a brilliant definition of what the gospel is. And I thought, what a way to start this series by just using this definition of the gospel that he gave. But I need to do this. Sorry, I'm using my phone to change the slides. There's the definition. What is the gospel? Uh, the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have we we should have died. I beg your pardon there, in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who believe, who repent and believe in him. And so, if you're looking for a great definition of the gospel. This is one of the greatest definitions of the gospel that we have found. Because it includes every single thing that Jesus did. And it doesn't just talk about Jesus as, as a man who came, who was righteous and, and without blemish, who gave himself up for us. But it talks about the fact that Jesus is God manifested in human flesh to be able to save us from our brokenness and our sin. And so it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful definition. And so, I asked the team, and I thought we would have kind of a very uh, visual preaching. And I'm trying to reconcile between the visuals and my own uh, preparation in my mind, what I'm going to do. But because AJ and Jocelyn got married recently, we've just wanted to use them uh, these days just to you know, profile them and show them off. Because they're still glowing from their honeymoon. Guys, do you mind coming up? <laughs> <laughs> Now they'll stay up here with me for a long time. I'm glad you're wearing red, representing the lions. Just uh, <laughs> all right. So I'm, we're going to be starting from the book of Genesis, and we're going to use them as Adam and Eve. Now picture them as as Adam, and <laughs> as Adam and Eve. Uh, we we have the tree there. We should have put it in the center, but we have it there. I want you to picture the tree there. As we start this preaching. Guys, do you mind maybe standing there next to the tree, admiring it and wanting to eat from it? (laughs) You can stand there as well, Agent. Thank you. This is our main scripture for today, and I want us to read this. This is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, (laughs) And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The, then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and, the, and a, a, a tree desirable to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate she also gave her so she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate now to the man before i dive into like literally picture this she's done eating and then she gives it to the husband he didn't say anything he just decided to start eating it but this is the beginning of life according to the bible and according to our faith, this is the beginning of love. Now I want you to picture this is the Garden of Eden. In chapter 2, God says to Adam and Eve that I have given you everything in the garden. Every single thing in the garden, you can eat of it. But of the tree, just one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will not eat of it. Now picture this garden. Now if you, if you love life, this would be a wonderful picture of life. You know, you have a garden, you have trees, you have birds singing, you have insects, nice insects not crawling but just moving around. Don't be scared. Wonderful insects moving around. You've got animals going around. You've got, in fact, the Bible goes as far as saying there were rivers of treasures in the garden. There were rivers of treasures in the garden. Now, if you are into treasures and jewelry and stuff, there was that too in the garden. And over and above that, the Bible says that they had a perfect relationship with God. What else can a person want when you are living literally in a place that has everything including God? There's, there are trees, there are animals. If you are into bootong, you can have bootong there. Like everything you want to have. If you love eating birds, you can eat birds too. Anything you want was in the garden. And God was so generous because he said, of everything that I've created in the garden, you will eat. But of only one tree, you will not eat of it. Now scripture begins in chapter 3 after a life in the garden of Eden. The Bible doesn't necessarily give us how much time it took between God giving Adam and Eve the command not to touch the tree and the time that they actually ate of the fruit. So the Bible doesn't give us the time. Now imagine it was just two months. You know, they were just living life and enjoying being with God, enjoying being with each other, and looking at this tree every time they would look at us like, man, that is the protection of God. God has given us every single thing in life, but he has not allowed us to eat of this fruit. But then the serpent comes in. Now I want you to understand that the serpent is not the devil, according to the Bible and according to Genesis 3. The serpent was not the devil. And so when you watch movies and the, like the Passion of Christ, when you see the serpent, do not imagine that as being the devil because the serpent was a creature created by God in the garden. And the Bible again gives us the picture that the serpent was able to speak or rather converse with people. So I don't know if they used sign language with a snake. I don't know if they, they spoke using words, but whatever means that they used. But at least the Bible says they were able to converse and speak to one another. And so this was a creature created by God. And, and I think there was already a relationship that was already existing between Adam and Eve and the snake and other animals. I think they were able to just around the garden talk to each other. They, they, it, this serpent was a familiar creature to this couple. It was not a stranger that just popped up and started seducing them to eat of the fruit that God had forbidden them. And I want to say this, that that almost the beginning of us disobeying God and walking uh, in ways that are not consistent with the Word of God begins usually with people and things that are very familiar to us. The enemy doesn't use strangers to seduce us into things. The enemy doesn't use things that are unfamiliar to us because things that are unfamiliar to us will run from them very quickly. But he uses things that we are so familiar with because when there's familiarity, there's a level or a degree of trust. There's a degree of credibility that that thing has in your life and that voice carries some form of weight. And so the devil embodied himself in something that was familiar to these people. So that he could seduce them into eating of the things that God had told them not to eat of. You know, when we look at our lives and when we look at our fallenness and many times when we have fallen into sin, it's always been either people or things that are very familiar to us. That because we did not have healthy boundaries around those people or those things, they ended up destroying us. And so then the enemy begins this discussion or the serpent begins this discussion with the couple. And he comes or the serpent comes and says, did God really say he raises a question mark on their belief systems. He says, has God indeed said, did God really tell you that, you know, that you shall not eat of this fruit? Are you sure you really heard from God correctly? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Is is sex before marriage really that bad? If the enemy can raise a question mark on your value system. He takes you on a journey to doubting God. And so he begins with, literally he didn't tell them first what to do. He wanted them to begin to question the things they believe. And that's what the enemy does with all of us. The things that you stand so strongly for. The things that you believe that are good for you that God has called you to do. The enemy brings in a question mark on your value system. He said, did God really say to you that you shall not, have, shall not eat of this? Is, is, are you sure you heard God correctly? Weren't you just hearing voices in your own head? You sure you heard God? And the moment you start to question the things you believe, it leads you to a, a state of ambiguity. A place of confusion. And oftentimes as a Christian, when you become ambiguous in your faith, you go to two places. Either you go deeper in the things of God to try and search the scriptures to fully understand why this thing is like this. Or you go to the other extreme where you begin to blur the boundary line between sin and righteousness. That, that you, you, you because you, you are so ambiguous in your faith now, you can no longer distinguish what is sin from what is righteousness. Because everything that you believe is being questioned. Everything that you stand for is being questioned. And so the enemy questions them because he knew, if they could start questioning what they believe, he will get them to disobey God. And we are living in a society where everything is beginning to question what we believe. I was at a dinner on Friday and someone was asking me, she's a doctor, like a family uh, member or family of ours, and she was asking questions, uh, some medical questions that, that the Bible would not necessarily agree with. And I knew because I've had those questions, you know, asked or posed to me many times and so, When the Bible doesn't say anything, I don't try to fabricate an answer to satisfy someone. And I just say, I don't know. But I think God knows and God is going to be able to resolve this issue when God wants to. Because the Bible, when the Bible is silent, I don't, because somebody's asking me and they think I'm a pastor, therefore I know everything. But I'm like, no, but I don't know. Because what the enemy is doing in this time is beginning to question the very things that we believe and stand for. And so has God really said, and then uh, then Eve answered, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree sorry, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. She begins to add things in that God didn't say. God didn't say you shall not touch it. God just said you shall not eat of it. She urged things in to exaggerate what God had said. Because she had at that time began to question exactly what God had said. And so she said, God said we might not, we shouldn't even touch it. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The second thing besides questioning our value system that the enemy does in this text is this. He says, for God knows the day you eat of this, you will know you will become like him and you will not surely die. He uses the protection of God as a limitation to their freedom. The very thing that God said, I'm doing this to protect you so that you don't die. He turns that protection into something that says God is limiting you. That God is limiting you because he doesn't want you to discover the good things about life. When God is telling you, man, just be faithful to your wife or be faithful to your husband. No, man, God is limiting your fun. God is not being a good God because it's hiding things from you. And how many times when we're confronted with things, we feel like, you know, man, maybe God is hiding something here. I, I think I see people who get drunk, they have more fun than people who are sober. <laughs> maybe God is hiding something here. And, and he uses the protection of God as a limitation to their freedom. He says, God is not protecting you. God is limiting you. The moment you sin against God, man, you're going to discover the fun that is in this thing. And so these people are confused right now because instead of believing that this thing was for their protection, they begin to believe that this thing is their limitation. That the reason why God doesn't want them to eat of this thing is because God is limiting them. And they're beginning to fail to understand that, no, man, God is not limiting us. God is protecting us. Because he knows that the day we we'll eat of this, we will die. And listen to what the woman does. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And I want you to note the three things that the woman noticed about the tree. One, she said it was good for food. Talking about physical satisfaction. It was good for food. Men, if you take this thing, you're going to be filled up physically. You're not going to be hungry anymore. You're going to be okay if you eat of this. Physical Satisfaction. When, when people begin to sin, there's an intrinsic belief that this sin is going to satisfy something physical in my being. People don't just sin. Nobody goes out of their marriage to cheat on their husband or their wife and then come back home. Their marriage is broken. Their kids are running wild, disillusioned, and so forth and so on. And you think they, they're fun and they wanted that. No, nobody wanted that. When someone was doing that, there was this intrinsic belief that something physical is going to be satisfied as a result of me participating in the sin. And so Eve saw this as as something that would benefit her physically. I said it was good for food and secondly she said it was pleasing or pleasant to their eyes. Attractiveness and physical appearance. You know when I was growing up I thought sin looked very ugly. But sin doesn't always look ugly, especially from the outside. Sin looks attractive sometimes. You know when you, are, when you are either a student or you are working, you, you go on a trip, say for instance you go on a trip to Europe for work and you get there, all your friends have got escorts and you are alone, you feel, you know escorts. <laughs> all your friends have got some ladies or people that are accompanying them and you are all by yourself and and they seem to be having fun and they seem to be doing well they seem to be laughing and smiling they seem to be partying and being okay but you look like you're the one who's isolated who's left alone who's behind and who who's not even having fun because sin is attractive when you look at it from the outside It is the consequences of sin that are bad, but the actual sin itself sometimes looks good on the outside. And so Eve looks at this. It was pleasing to the eyes. (laughs) There you go. Can you tell? It was pleasing to the eye. But God knew that this was for their protection and not for their limitation. When God tells us to obey Him. It's not to limit us. It is to protect us. And the third uh, thing that Eve says, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Wisdom, which is a psychological well-being for our emotions. She says, man, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling down emotionally, this tree looks so attractive and desirable to make you wise, to give you a mental capacity, to give you psychological strength when you eat of this fruit. Again, these are mainly the three things that we are confronted with in our lives today when it comes to us sinning and disobeying God. One is our physical satisfaction, two is our physical appearance, the attractiveness of the external appearance of sin. And thirdly, it is for her psychological well-being. And these were the three things that Eve noticed about the tree. And she decided, you know what? I can't resist these three things. I want to feel well emotionally. I want to feel well physically. I want to feel well psychologically. And therefore, she decided to eat of the fruit And after eating of the fruit, (laughs) and she gave to AJ, and AJ didn't even question, why, darling, are you eating this thing? Why are we doing this to the Lord? He just kept quiet. I have a message I entitled, The Silence of the Man. Please give them a round of applause as they go back. And so then, after sinning against God, God comes in the garden and he finds them there. Nobody told them to hide, but they by themselves began to hide from God. And so God calls out to them and says, guys, where are you? And they said, hey, we heard your voice in the garden and we decided to hide because we are naked. You know, whether, whether the pastor preaches about sin or they don't, seen as the ability in itself to reveal its own consequences to you and because of the spirit of God that is in you, there is a conviction that begins to arise in your heart that man, you are so far from God right now. Even before God himself comes to you, you feel in yourself that you are so far fallen from God. And so then we see in chapter 4 of Genesis the first time a sacrifice to God is made between Abel and Cain. And one gave, the Bible says, of the first fruit of his harvest. And another one killed an animal as a sacrifice to God. And God comes and is pleased with the animal sacrifice instead of the first fruit. And God said to, to Cain, Why are you? why is your heart beaten down? If you know what is right, why don't you just do it? Referring to the sacrifice of animals. And so Adam and Eve changed the entire way that we have to now be relating to God. Instead of relating to God like we used to before now, we have to relate to God through the sacrifices of animals. And in order for you to be accepted by God, you have to kill an animal so that God can accept you. You have to kill an animal. So so Abel kills an animal and God accepts him. Cain doesn't and God doesn't accept him. And so life continues and and the children of Israel go into Egypt for many, many years, 430 years. And then they are liberated. And God has to teach them how to worship him again. Because they had lost their their, their way and they had lost the, the way of God and how to worship God. And so God gives them the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus 16, in Leviticus 16, verse 15 to 16, this is what the Bible says, referring, of, uh, referring to the priest. It says, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as it did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions. For all their sins, so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so Moses is now giving the people the rules of how to relate to God. And this was the day of atonement where people would bring, different families would bring animals to be sacrificed for their sins. It was no longer just us relating to God directly. We had to relate to God through the sacrifices of animals. And it started, it started until the New Testament. Because the blood of animals every year began to become too much for the people. Because none of that would make them fully acceptable to God. And they had to do that every single year. And it became tiring and tiring and tiring because they couldn't bear it anymore. And so then we realized, or God realized, that we needed a Savior. That we needed someone who was not born of a man and a woman, or a natural man and a natural woman to save us. Because all of us had fallen below the standard of God. All of us had sinned against God, and so we needed a Savior. I don't know if you've ever wondered why Jesus had to come. At some point in my Christian life, I wondered, I was like, but what's the purpose of Jesus coming and dying on the cross? Why couldn't he just come and maybe die in an accident, <laughs> if you had ever thought of something like that like me? Like if, if death was the problem, why didn't he die in a different way? But God knew that we needed a Savior. And that's the reason why Jesus had to come. And so John gives us the picture in John chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And so God decides in his own deity that I am going to send my son to come to you and save you. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, which we assume was Paul, but it could have been somebody else. He says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a hypha could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. But just think how much more the blood of Christ Jesus will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Uh, That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God had promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. And so now the preacher comes and wants to explain to the Jewish people. He said, I want you to understand that there is a new time that has been ushered by God. That in the old system you had to give goats and you had to sacrifice animals. But there's a person who has appeared in our midst who has made himself a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's saying to them, you no longer have to go back to the temple and give your sacrifice to the priest. Because Jesus has given his own blood for our sins. And this was the distinction of religion and Christianity. In the same weekend that Jesus was being crucified, the priest was in the tabernacle sprinkling, sprinkling rather, the blood. And so the Bible gives us two pictures of one. The person remains in perpetual religion trying to do things to reach out to God. And there are other people of faith who now understand that Jesus has done all that. All I need to do is just receive him and believe in him. He says to them, but this guy has given himself eternally. You don't have to do anything else next year. Because Jesus has done it all for us. He's demanding a response from them in their faith. He's saying just the same way you believed the priest when you went and sacrificed the animals. I want you to believe in this man, Jesus Christ, who has given himself up as a sacrifice for you. I want you to believe in him. And I believe that's the same message to us today. What is the cause of the gospel? The cause of the gospel is that man in himself could not save himself. And he needed someone who was perfect to save him. And therefore, God in his love sent Jesus Christ to come and save him. And man's response to this gift of God is to say, Jesus, I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to live your way because you have paid the price and the penalty of my sin." And that is the cause of the cross. Can we stand to our feet? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. It says that it, it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. It is by grace through faith. We are not saved by faith. That would be working for our salvation. We are saved by grace. Faith is a means through which we receive that salvation. But it's not our faith that saves us. It is the grace of God because it is the gift of Jesus Christ that saves us. And I want us family to reflect on this even in this month of April as we celebrate Easter. Why do I believe in this Jesus Christ? And the many times when I'd questioned myself, I an hour or two later I would realize, man, I'm so messed up by myself. I'm just so unworthy by myself, and I just I need a savior. And that alone just answered the questions of my heart that man, we needed someone who was not born of a normal man. To save us from our brokenness. From our lostness. And that's why Jesus had to come. And so that's the cause of the gospel. And our response is, man, we believe in Jesus. We believe that he's paid the penalty of our sins. And that he has declared us righteous." Even as Hebrews says, from the consciousness of sins. He hasn't just cleansed us from the sin, but even the consciousness, the awareness of the fact that we are sinners has been taken away. And the awareness that we must have is that, man, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and we are righteous before God because Jesus has declared us righteous. Righteous. And I'm going to ask you if you are here and you know that, man, you have not given your life to Jesus. You have not said yes to the mediator of a new covenant, Jesus Christ, the Savior. I'm not going to get you to come forward. I just want you to wave at me. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to pray with you. And secondly, if you are here, and I want you to, the three things I mentioned earlier on the physical satisfaction, good for food, the attractiveness of sin, the external appearance of sin without realizing how damaging sin can be. And thirdly, that it gives wisdom, it makes you clever. Doesn't make you clever. And if you're a Christian, I want you to be aware of those three things. Family, can we pray together this prayer with the person who raised their hand? And I want you to pray that loud and I want you to pray that in faith. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Today, we welcome you in our lives. Save us. Yes, Jesus. (laughs) Lord, save us from the difficulties that we are encountering as Christians, walking already with you. Lord, save us from the depravity of us living lives that are not consistent with your values and your ways. And help us. Help us, Lord. Father, we thank you today. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Come on, family. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus.